2: And that's us, Dirt Radio. Good morning. We're sponsored by Friends of the Earth, and you can check us out at foe.org.au. I'm John Langer. This week, coal and climate change. Okay, I can hear you muttering to yourselves. How much more can we say about coal and climate change? Well, our first guest on Dirt Radio this week thinks there's a lot still to be talked about and discovered, especially if you go to places where coal is the basis of community prosperity and people's livelihoods. Vanessa Bowden is an environmental sociologist at the University of Newcastle, and her research has been looking at environmental values in coal-producing communities. Hello, Vanessa.
0: Hi, John. Now,
2: your research took you to the Hunter Valley in New South Wales. I'm wondering why.
1: Ah, well, I actually live in Newcastle, which is in the Hunter Valley, um, part of that region. So I've sort of been involved and, and watched the debates about coal and climate change for some time. And I guess as a sociologist, I wanted to find something that was unique to contribute to that ongoing discussion.
2: Now, a couple of weeks ago, in what I guess could be described as a widely publicized speech in London, Tony Abbott said that climate change and global warming could actually be a good thing for the planet. Now, mm-hmm. I, I gasped at that, and I guess you did as well. Now, for us at Friends of the Earth and probably lots of other people, this kind of comment, given the climate science, would be patently absurd – You found in the Hunter Valley that wasn't actually the case. You interviewed business leaders there. What was their view?
1: Yeah, well, I guess um, part of it was really the the broader ways in which Abbott so blatantly questioned everything about climate change so, you know, that it might have benefits, um, questioned the science, but also, um, especially his attacks on environmentalists and. You know, he also made a, a comment about sacrificing goats, um, sort of suggesting that environmentalists were kind of crazy in that way. And certainly in the research that I did with business leaders, um, they said very, very similar and, and dramatic things about environmentalists. Um, they were very anti them. They talked about the idea that if we were going to do something about climate change, we'd have to go and live in caves. Um, I think one person used an analogy of a nuclear explosion happening because of a a carbon tax, potentially. Um, So some of those things that he was saying really actually rang true to a lot of the, the sort of rhetoric coming out of the community that I had studied. Yeah.
2: Just to wind it back a little bit in, in terms of your research and just to get, get a sense mm. and j- just for myself and I, I guess um, just to give a context, you went and interviewed business leaders there and, and how, how many did you speak to and how, how did they respond when you, when you knocked on the door? Did they say, hey, go away or what, what, were they, <laughs> uh, what was their response?
1: Yeah, so I approached about uh, 50 CEOs of companies and the only criteria was that their company had to have business in the Hunter region. So some of them were um, in the coal industry and other like aluminium greenhouse intensive industries. But I also um, approached people in renewable energies, people in service industries, a a whole range trying to get a big range of views. And so I sent those people letters and emails and of the 50, I had about 30 come back to me and say, yes, they'd be willing to participate. So then I went and I actually went to their offices and, and interviewed them.
2: Oh, okay. And so you sat, actually sat down face-to-face and had a chat with them?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the research was qualitative. So I wanted to get an idea of the range of ways in which they frame the issue of climate change Mm. Um, rather than, I guess, you know, if I had have done a survey, I I guess that sort of information is a little bit limited in trying to understand the reasoning behind why they might answer in particular ways. So, I mean, a lot of the time people would say, yes, I believe in climate change, for instance. Uh, but then when we went on to talk about it in more detail, they might say things. I don't know if I had someone like say like Abbott that it might end up being good, but I certainly had people talk about the idea that it might be just a natural cycle or mm. that it might not be as bad. And so realistically, they might say that they're they're concerned about it or they think that it's happening, but their willingness to do something is limited by that sort of context.
2: Where do you think they were getting their ideas from? Was it specifically Mm. related to things that they had read or their business connections?
1: I think that it was a mixture of both. And I did with some people discuss sort of their media sources and their information. Um, So, I mean, a lot of people read sort of the Australian or the Financial Review But I I do um, think, I mean, a lot of them talked actually, uh, uh, some of them knew each other, and I think that within the Hunter Valley, which is a coal-intensive community, Newcastle's home to the world's biggest coal port, Mm. um, I do think that a lot of the, the rhetoric and the sort of power of the coal industry in terms of their actual networks came through people's opinions. Yes. But also I think, you know, these are uh, people who largely uh, sit in offices who are sort of going through meetings, talking to the media and reporting on, you know, spreadsheets and on their finances rather than, you, you know, engaging with environmental issues a lot of the time. That's, so in terms yeah. of practice, that kind of makes sense.
2: Sure. Um, mm-hmm. w- you found that there was a what you called a pervasive skepticism among the participants about the science of climate change. That, that and I guess you know in some ways it's not surprising. But what did the what were people saying?
1: Yeah, well I know, and um, I did write about this in the conversation. And quite a few comments said, "Oh, it's not surprising," but you know, I I kind of was surprised because. Really, this was in the lead up to the price on carbon, the interview. So it was a little while ago. But at that time, um, and I would say it's probably similar now, but the science was pretty well accepted. Mm. Um, so in some ways, that did surprise me, given, you know, I know that they're business people, but they're also generally well educated. And mm. um, yeah, so so to some extent, that did surprise me. Um But I think a lot of the scepticism actually seemed to come from a bit of a dislike of scientists. There was a lot of talk about not trusting scientists, about that they are possibly making lots of money off saying that climate change is a problem. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is pretty funny given that they probably make, you know, we know that some people make money off the fossil fuel industry by saying it's not a problem. Yep. But um yeah, so there was a lot of talk um about scientists about not trusting the actual scientific research. And they
2: themselves. thought they were they they thought they were making money. Scientists would probably have loved to me to be
1: making some money. I know. <laughs> I know. And I'm I'm sure that a lot I mean I, my read on the the way that the science has gone is that a lot of scientists themselves have probably quite hesitantly being drawn into this public political debate because mm. of that. But um, no, that, that wasn't, certainly wasn't the view of the people that I spoke to.
2: Interesting. And the other thing that you found was, uh, and again, I just want to quote what you said, an intensely antagonistic view, views that they had in relation to envi- the environmental movement and the Greens.
1: How did, how did mm. that
2: antagonism express itself?
1: Quite interesting, actually, because even people who might have been um, less sceptical of climate change would talk about the fact that they they saw environmentalists as doing more harm than good and um, sort of on the radical fringe and um, not really communicating their values very well. So um, I think in lots of ways it sort of came through almost as stereotypes of greenies. Yep. Um, and it seems to me that in some ways that was sort of part of their identity. You know, as business leaders, they sort of saw themselves in a, di- a different category. Um, I guess in that way, people are sort of starting to say that caring about the environment is more about your identity or something than it is about... You
2: know, actually being in the world. <laughs> mm, mm. Some mm. Something I, I just wanted to may, maybe finally, or you know, so, so, something that's I guess really, f- you I guess you've been thinking about, and other people have been thinking about these trends that you picked up. Were were you did your study a couple of years ago, and in mm. places like the Hunter Valley, do you think they're starting to shift in their attitudes, or the these people that you spoke about, because. For example, AGL is starting to talk a little bit more about committing itself to renewable energy. It's getting out of coal, possibly getting out of coal, the possible closure of the Liddell power station. Do you have a feeling that maybe these ways of thinking that you detected back then are starting to change?
1: Uh, I, I would definitely say so. I mean, at that time, there was really, and that was one of the key findings of my research, that there might have been some participants who would be a bit sympathetic to doing more about climate change but they were really not organized there was really no leadership within that community for people to sort of rally around so there is some potential there i guess for what agl has said they're going to do um to have that effect but you know also there have been people and organizations like lock the gate and working on the ground in those communities for years and I think also as the broader community has seen the effects of the economic downturn in coal um, I think there's a realisation among the sort of broader community that the coal is is on the way out and I think obviously businesses are going to be forced to respond to that so in some ways maybe they're going to get dragged along a little bit by the community, but also there is, you know, I guess, some some signs of some leadership in the business community as well. But obviously, it remains to be seen how that mm. that sort of plays out.
2: Yeah, yeah. look, it's I guess, I guess what you're saying, and probably all of us have been thinking about it. Certainly, at Friends of the Earth, is uh, there there is the sort of environmental side of things, the you know taking care of the planet, and and obviously the you know, the question of global warming and so on. But the, the the hard economic reality is that coal is maybe a stranded asset and, you know, these business leaders are going to have to think about that in pure hard economic terms.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, in in some ways um, at the moment what AGL is doing is showing a little bit more forethought than um, the government, whereas when I was doing um, That research it was a little bit around the other way I mean the the policies being proposed at that time were um, flawed in some ways if you're mostly concerned about climate change but they were more Mm. than what we've got at the Mm, moment
2: mm, mm. yeah Look, I, I think probably what you're going to have to do, Vanessa, is go back and do a follow-up study. But <laughs> oh, I know. I'm, Everyone's I'm wonder- been
1: saying that now, yeah. I'm
2: wondering if they're going to let you into the community.
1: <laughs> well, mm. <laughs> mm.
2: Anyway, <laughs> we'll look, yeah, we'll see. Look, thank you so much for being on Dirt Radio today, and I uh, want all, wish you all the best for your future research. No
1: problem. Thanks for having me.
2: And that was Vanessa Bowden. She's an environmental sociologist at the University of Newcastle and she was discussing her research on coal production and environmental va- values in the Hunter Valley and Weird Dirt Radio. For one night only, the Great Forest National Park is coming alive at Howler, Brunswick, October 29th at 7 p.m. Celebrate our diverse Victorian wilderness through provoking forest projections and performances by Shane Howard, Zach Saber and DJ Dillian Page. All proceeds go towards the Wilderness Society's work on the Great Forest National Park Campaign.
0: Dry,
2: Tickets are just $25 from Moshtix. That's moshtix.com.au. Just search for Howler. So come and enjoy a unique night out and be wilder. Be wilder is a 3CR supporter. This time
0: we will away.
1: ACR is very proud to announce the launch of the Beyond the Buzz 2017 CD. Okay, Puffer, you're up to go and see the bail justice. I don't want to go and see him. I say no, nah, I won't worry about it. You know. Sure enough, here comes the truck. I'm going to Dame Phyllis. Come along to Mesa at 184 Gertrude Street, Fitzroy, on Thursday, the 2nd of November, from 6 to 8 p.m. The launch will feature a live panel discussion on Aboriginal incarceration, Q&A, and deadly music.
2: Oh, like, I don't regret being in jail, not one bit. Solitude and centeredness is difficult to find in the centre of chaos. So this has become, unfortunately enough, a place to be by myself and away from all that other stuff. And and there's less less chaos in here than there is out there.
1: Beyond the Bar's 2017 CD launch, Thursday 2nd of November, upstairs at Mesa, 6 till 8pm.
2: This week we're talking about coal and climate change and lots of those coal mining business leaders from the Hunter Valley we were just discussing. I wouldn't be surprised if they were coming to IMARC and IMARC is the International Mining and Resources Conference. It's being described as Australia's largest mining conference and it's being held in Melbourne. Quit Coal is a faux-based collective that campaigns against the expansion of coal and unconventional gas industries in Victoria and elsewhere around the country. And on Wednesday, November the 1st, they're going to be at the mining conference as well. Zianna Fuad is Quit Coal's campaign coordinator, and she's with Dirt Radio to tell us why they're going to be there. Hey, good morning, Zianna.
0: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: That's a Pleasure. And uh, briefly, what I wanted to start with was tell us about this Mining and Resources Conference and why it's especially noteworthy this time around, particularly in relation to the Adani Carmichael Mine.
0: Yeah, so Melbourne's hosting this huge uh, mining conference. It's supported by the state government, unfortunately. And it's going to see, you know, 3,000 People attend, over 60 countries represented and 150 companies coming together to network and plan the future of you know, coal and other resources into the future. And on November the 1st, they're having a special um, keynote session about the Adani coal mine up in North Queensland. And the Australian CEO of Adani will be there um, with Matt Canavan as well, talking about the prospects of this mine going ahead and so we thought it's absolutely essential that they're met with hopefully hundreds of people outside showing that this isn't actually what you know Australian people mm, want
2: mm. Yeah. I didn't yeah look I didn't know uh the esteem Matt Canavan was going to be there as well but I guess it's expected isn't it
0: yeah yeah
2: now tell us uh, there are going to be some uh a lot of events actually. November the first is shaping up to be Melbourne's Day of Action on Climate Change. And tell us what's happening because I think there's a bunch of things going on at this uh, through the day.
0: Yeah, so it's a great collaboration of different Friends of the Earth groups working together. And in the morning, Act on Climate, um, a gathering on the steps of Parliament at ten thirty, um, because the Strengthened Climate Change Act takes effect on November the first, which has been um, rallied by lots of groups. And um, it basically means that it's bringing Victoria um, in a line with the Paris Agreement, which is amazing because as we're seeing, the feds are just doing a terrible job at Mm. taking any leadership on climate. And so we've seen Victoria really take up um, and take action with the Vic Gas ban and then the Victoria, Victorian Renewable Energy Target, which was locked in two days ago. And now we have this Climate Change Act. So we're having a big congratulations and also a presence on the steps of Parliament.
2: Right, and they're, they're uh, also, the state government, of course, is getting a huge amount of pressure from the feds to, uh, to overturn this.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So we need to keep the pressure on and we need to make sure that Daniel Andrews knows that he's made a decision that the people want. And so, yeah, especially in light of Abbott's um, comments lately Mm -hmm. about sending the military in. Yeah,
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, look, it's it's really it's quite frightening. In fact, uh, you're talking about this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, really important. So tell us. So it starts at 1030. It's on the steps of Parliament. Is that, is that where yeah, it's Yeah, and going? then... hmm What next?
0: And that follows into the next event, which is being put on by Market Forces, and that's at 11.45 at Collins Place, so just nearby. And they're leading a bit of a corporate villains tour um, across Melbourne, giving a walking tour of the different um, companies that are connected to Adani. So that'll lead through the CBD um, up until... One thirty, where they'll bring everyone to the rally for the final push outside the, um, the mining conference at the convention center.
2: And the rally is being hosted by Quit Coal or is it a bunch of affiliates coming together?
0: Yeah, well, we've um, hosted it in the way of putting the event out there, but lots and lots of groups are on board, um, Stop Adani Melbourne and everyone's coming along with all their colours and props and signs and we really want um, the clear message to be that this mine is also about land rights and it's you know whenever we're talking about mining in Australia we're talking about um, land rights and the fact that they're overlooked and ignored and so um, we really want that to be the forefront of the rally and then of course bring in all the important messages of climate and reef and and everything (laughs) that's related to Adani and um, how destructive it is on all fronts.
2: Uh, Are there going to be speakers at the rally as well?
0: Yeah, we're going to have a few speakers, hopefully from SEED, the um, Youth Indigenous Mm -hmm. Climate Coalition. Yeah,
2: Right. And look, I guess something that people listening, and me as well, how do we get involved? And if we want to contribute to the day,
0: um, the best thing you can do is just share the message around, promote the event, bring your friends, come along with all your color and your movement and your signs and join us there because the more people that um, that are there, the more they'll see, you know, they'll see the resistance.
2: Absolutely. And uh, the previous interview that we were just talking to somebody who is... Um She's done some research up in the Hunter Valley, and uh, it was, it's actually interesting to hear the, the comparison between what you're talking about and the attitude of some of the business leaders up there. Although she said, I have to say, she said she thought there was something of a change coming on. So let's hope that uh, all of these things can build together to create uh, you know, major resistance, particularly against the Adani mine.
0: Yeah, we're seeing such an incredible groundswell of opposition and it's this really beautiful movement that's being created through it. Absol- <laughs> so Absolutely. Let's hope that continues. They can't ignore us for much longer.
2: No, we'll hope not. Yeah. Um, and it's been great talking to you today and all the best with the, um, with the rally and all the other events coming up. And you know what? I'm going to try and get along too.
0: Yeah, great. Thanks, John. We'll, we'll see you there. Okay.
2: <laughs> Speak to you soon. I've been talking there with Sienna Fuad, and she's the Quit Coal co- campaign coordinator, and she was talking about the day of action planned for the opening of the iMark conference. That's the International Mining and Resources Conference on November the 1st, or actually, I'm not sure that's the opening day, but that's the day the special speakers are there. And the CEO from Adani, who's the person representing the company in Australia will be speaking that day, and they want a big turnout. So get along if you can. I'm going to be there. The links will be put on our website and our Facebook page, and be sure to get down there if you can and if you've got some uh, time. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say, it's okay, you are just being killed for trespassing.
0: Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch.
2: They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people.
1: Who does the killing?
2: The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call
0: 9419
2: 8377. We're Dirt Radio, and this has been, well, that's the next edition. This is the the edition. Um, We've just done it, and uh, we'll be here again next Tuesday. We're affiliated with Friends of the Earth and you can go to the website foe.org.au We'll speak to you next week.